Hallelujah. Well, turn with me. There's so much that could be shared, and I don't want to just share things that could be shared. Um, I, I just have reams and reams of notes and sermons and things I've shared over the past years here, as well as in other countries at Pastor Nancy's Bible School. And it's, it's very challenging to narrow it all down. But I, I said, Holy Spirit, what, do you, uh, what is your plan and what, what is the highest flow for this service? What do you want? And um, I, I was going to go a little bit of a different direction, but I just felt the Lord uh, prompt me. Uh, this is our four-part series, What Happened from the Cross to the Throne. But I just felt him prompt me, just start with this and let's just see how where it goes. Can we just do that? Because uh, it's just too much to get out even in four services. There's no way I can get everything out if I try to. Um, but I just, I just want to just start here and let's just see as the Lord leads where it takes us and, and where we go. Amen. You're going to say amen tonight. You're going to help me. Praise God. Have a look with me in Genesis chapter 15. I just want to talk to you a little bit this evening about the blood of Jesus. And um, Genesis, actually, you know what? We're going to go to Genesis 15, but just, just turn with me quickly to John 13 first. Can you do that? John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Now, you know Good Friday is not Good Friday, right? Did you know that? Good Friday is not the day that Jesus died. He died on a Thursday. And if you study your Bible carefully, and if you study what theologians uh, confirm and what, and what Hebrew theologians confirm, you will see that uh, that was because of the Gregorian calendar years ago, and uh, many hundreds of years ago, they didn't understand the Jewish holidays, they didn't understand how the Jewish days or feasts worked, and so they assumed because it was, uh, it was before a Sabbath that they assumed it was a Friday. But let me just read you a couple things here just to give you a bit of a background. Is that okay? Can you just settle in with me a little bit? I know, I know you're not necessarily at the next service, but we'll just build on each of these four as we go. And so even though you're only here for one, just watch the rest, and I believe it will bless you and help you, especially Sunday morning. I got a, something extra special that I haven't preached in a long time uh, that I'm going to be sharing. So please make sure you look, look, watch all of them and follow along. I believe it will help you. But let's just, just look at this for a second here. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, uh, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, do you see that? The devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And then verse 4, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And that's when he washed their feet. Remember, and then, and then he knew someone was going to betray them. He said someone's going to betray them. They said, Lord, who? And he said, the one I'm going to hand the, what the old English word, sop, S-O-P, which is he dipped the bread in, in, in the wine and he handed it to Judas. But did you notice here it says here that it says before the feast of Passover. Did you see that? Yeah. Then it says supper being ended. So how could he have eaten the feast of Passover? Do you understand? If you study your Bible carefully, you'll see that the feast of Passover is called the Seder meal, S-E-D-E-R, the Seder meal. Jesus never ate the traditional Seder meal because that was on Passover day. But this is the night before Passover, so this is called the early Seder meal. So Jesus was eating a meal that was, uh, we don't know exactly, but probably very similar to the Passover meal because he knew he was, or maybe exactly the same, because he knew he wasn't going to eat Passover with the disciples because he was the Passover. Okay? So this is, notice it says, before the feast of Passover. Why? This was Wednesday night, right now, tonight, 
Wednesday night, 2,000 years ago. It was on a Wednesday night that Jesus sat with his disciples. Just like tonight, on a Wednesday night. And he ate the last supper with them. And it was an early Seder meal or a pre-Passover meal. Why was it not the Passover meal? Because on Wednesday night, uh, it goes, see, the, the Jewish calendar starts at 6 p.m. in the evening. So on a Wednesday night, it's actually really the next day's date. Do you understand? So Wednesday night at sunset, it starts what we would call Thursday, but it's actually called, that date is actually Wednesday evening. So Jesus died on Nisan, the month of Nisan, 14. That was Passover. But Passover on Thursday, that's the day of Passover, but Passover day actually started Wednesday night in terms of the 24-hour clock. It started at sunset. So when Jesus was eating this early Seder meal, he was eating it on Nisan 14, but kind of Wednesday night. That, you know, like it's not like a midnight like it is for us. It's 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. That's their day. We're midnight to midnight. So Jesus, it says clearly here, this is before the feast of Passover. Why? Because on Wednesday night, Jesus was having dinner. I'm trying to help you understand so you know why we believe what we believe. And you don't just listen to what everybody says because you've got to know your Bible. Wednesday night, Jesus had to meal with his disciples. When that meal was over, if you read John 14, 15, 16, that's all, all those words in red, that's all after G Judas had left. And these are the last words Jesus spoke to the disciples before he went to the garden in John 14, 15, and 16 and all that stuff. So Jesus is eating this meal and then the next, he goes late, late into the night and the early morning hours on Thursday morning, he goes to the garden. You know, he prays and then they arrest him and Judas kisses him and all that stuff happens early Thursday, very early in the morning, really in the middle of the night. And then they take him and they beat him and they whip him and they put the crown of thorns and they do all of that in the early, early, early morning hours. And then he's already gone uh, the Via Della Rosa walk and he's gone up to where Golgotha is which is the place of the skull and they've already put, a, put the nails in his hands and in his feet and he's on the cross by 9 a.m. on Thursday morning which is Nisan 14. Nisan 14 is Passover not Passover feast it's Passover day you got to understand there's a difference now this is called the preparation day of the Jews because the preparation day is when they would kill the Passover lambs. And do you know what time they killed Passover lambs? On that, on that Thursday, Nisan 14, they would kill them around 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Do you know what time Jesus died on Nisan 14? At exactly 3 p.m. in the afternoon. At the exact time in the temple, they were slaughtering the Passover lambs for the Passover supper that was to be that evening. They were slaughtering Jesus. He was dying. He breathed his last at 3 p.m. So I want you to understand that there is a perfect and exact parallel between what Jesus went through and then, of course, as the Passover. Remember, John said, the Lamb of God, who hold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He was the Passover Lamb. And so notice it says, before the Feast of Passover. Why? Because the Feast of Passover is the next evening. Thursday evening. Now that's a Sabbath day. So they have to hurry. That's why they were rushing to get his body down off the tree. Because Thursday night, it starts Sabbath. Now they call that Shabbat. Now let me, let me, let me help you understand this. Every week, there is a weekly Shabbat. 
which starts Friday at sunset and goes till Saturday at sunset. And that's what it is every week there. That's their special day. In fact, Pastor Israel in, 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 in Ashdod, their main service is Friday night. Their Shabbat service, like our main service, is Sunday morning. Their main service in the week is Friday night because that's their Sabbath day. That's their Shabbat day. So every Friday evening, this, the Sabbath thing starts. But there is something called high days, which is where it's not the weekly Sabbath day, if you study. It's a high day is, a, is an annual holiday or one of the seven special holy feasts of Israel. Okay? And when, when you see that word high day, you know it's not just a regular Friday Sabbath. Now we're talking about an extra special day. This is a feast day. So did you notice here at first, I'm going to take you to another scripture, but did you see that it says before the feast? He had supper. The last supper was before the feast of Passover because the feast of Passover was, going, was planned on Thursday evening, but this is Wednesday evening. This is the early Seder meal. Do you understand? Then he said he finished supper. So we know obviously the finishing what they had, the last supper was not the feast of Passover because that was scheduled for the next day. Now pop on down there if you would please down to verse 20, down to verse uh, 29. For, let's look at verse 27. Now after the sop, Satan entered into Judas. Then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this to him. For some of them thought because Judas had the bag of money that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast. Or that he should give something for the poor. Did you see that? They thought Jesus was saying, go and do this because he had the money. And what, what, did, what did some of them think he was going to do? He was going to go and buy things that they needed for the feast. They just had the last supper. But the feast is for the next evening. They don't know yet. They haven't clued into the fact that Jesus is going to die the next day. They still think they're going to have the past. They had the early Seder meal that night. They thought they were going to have the regular Seder meal the following night. So they thought he was going out to buy the stuff for the following evening. Can you see that in the scriptures? That's not hard. Now, have a look, please, if you would, in John 19 and 31. Can you turn there? John 19 and 31. John 19, 31. Let's look at verse 30. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And the Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day. Do you see that? Yes. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that, that, might be that they may be taken away. Why? Let me explain something to you. There is something called the Feast of, the, of Unleavened Bread. Have you heard of that? The Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread lasts for seven days. The first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the Passover meal. So Nisan 14 is the preparation day. Why do they call it a preparation day? Because they have to kill the lambs. They have to get everything ready. It's not a Sabbath day because you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath day. And there's a lot of work to do on the preparation day because they're killing the lambs. They're getting everything ready. They're bringing the bitter herbs and all the unleavened bread and everything into their houses. Because remember, they have, to, they have to celebrate this Passover feast on Thursday night. At sunset, you couldn't, you couldn't work anymore. So they were rushing to get everything ready for the main high day, which is the Passover feast, but it's the first day of the, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Are you understanding? A lot of people think Passover and Unleavened Bread are separate. They're not. Pas the Feast of Unleavened Bread is seven days. The first day of that feast is called Passover. 
And that always happens on the evening. It's basically Nisan 14 is the Thursday daytime, but then it starts that evening. So technically, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread starts Nisan 15, which is Thursday night into Friday. It goes 24 hours till Friday at sunset. So they are rushing to try to get this, all this preparation done. And that's why they said to Pilate, listen, we have to be able to get into our homes. We, we can't leave them on the cross. We have, because they would just let them, last, you know, for, for sometimes two, three days at a time, they'd be in agony while they're struggling to breathe. And they needed their legs to push up to breathe. So they said, let's go break their legs so that they can die quickly because we, we, got it. we can't do anything on the Passover, on the first day of unleavened bread. This is our special, the marking of Nisan 15. This is our special holiday, lasts for seven days. And we can't work on that day. So you go, we got to deal with this Jesus guy early. We got to get that done. Do you understand? That's why they did that. We see very clearly in the Bible here that it was a, a high day. What is that high day? The high day is the first day of that Feast of Unleavened Bread, that seven-day period. That first day, Thursday night into Friday night, that's day one of seven, that is the Passover meal. And so they are meeting in their homes, eating the lamb with the bitter herbs, spoke of his agony, with the hyssop, speaks of faith, with the overrunning water speaks of the word. With they're, they're eating all of they're eating this. This represents for us as Christians. This represents that not only did they the death angel pass over them back 1,200 years before in Egypt. Remember when, when they when they had their first Passover. Not only did they obviously that they're still celebrating that today. The death angel passed over. But for us, it means more than that. It means Jesus was our lamb. Our confidence is him. And as the Jews were saved 1,200 years earlier, so we are saved through the Passover lamb. Do you understand? Then you've got the seven days, the first of which is Passover, seven days of unleavened bread. Unleavened bread speaks, leaven speaks of sin. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. This whole feast of seven days represents uh, your, your walk with God. It speaks of consecration. It speaks of living a life free of sin. So Passover, we are saved because of the blood of the Lamb. And then, and then the, the, this, the rest of this feast is our living free of sin. It's living without leaven in our lives. That's what that feast represents. Praise God. And then, of course, there is on the first and the second. So the first day of the, fa of the seven days, which was Nisan 15, is Passover. And then that's Thursday night to Friday night. Then Friday night to Saturday night, the second day, is, is very interesting because that, that was the feast of uh, first fruits. Mm -hmm. That was a special feast that was on the, the second, the day right after uh, Passover. Mm -hmm. So it is right on that weekend. And they would wave the first fruits of the barley harvest before the Lord. And really, if you study it, one was waved on Nisan 16, which is, which is the Saturday. And then other was waved on Resurrection Sunday, which is Nisan 17. There was two wavings of this, of this early barley harvest. And it's a beautiful depiction because what, 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 what God is saying here is what's happening. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Is, is Jesus died, obviously we know. And now this feast of unleavened bread, you know what they would do? They would take three, this is, Jews did this for 1,200 years. They would take three pieces of bread. They would, they would fold them and they would take the middle one and they would hide it. Okay, they would hide it in their home where the children didn't know where it was. And, that, and they did that as part of the Feast of Unleavened Bread right after Passover. It's a beautiful symbol of Jesus dying as the lamb exactly when the physical lambs died. And now he goes down into the underworld. He goes down into hell. 
And he's there right until he rises up on Sunday morning. And down in there, that's where, that's where he represents. Now, they take three pieces of bread, and it's the middle bread that they fold and they hide. And there were three individuals crucified. And the Bible says that Jesus was crucified in the middle of two sinners. The middle bread, they folded that. That speaks of crushing. They cr he was crushed. They fold that middle bread, and they hide it. And then what they do on the first fruits, which is the day Sunday morning, there's one on Saturday, but there's another one on Sunday. They go and they find that bread in the house, and that bread was sweet bread. The other two were not sweetened, but that was a sweetened bread that they find as the feast of first fruits, and they eat it as their dessert on the Sunday. Now, the whole thing lasts for seven days in total, but there's a lot that's happening on that first day, on that first evening, Thursday into Friday, which is the first day, which is the Passover feast, and then, of course, the Friday into Saturday and the Saturday into Sunday. There's a lot that happens, and there's three basic feasts that we call Passover, unleavened bread, and, and first fruits. And this is really Jesus is dying as the Lamb of God. He is hidden in the underground as he's buried, and yet then he is found by the power of God and he is raised up to new life on Sunday morning and it's a sweet bread, it's a celebration, it's a joy. And you can see this as a perfect, amazing parallel in the Bible uh, that you see this, this, this feast is happening. So I want you to understand that on a Wednesday night is when this all started. And Jesus had his early Seder meal and he goes early tomorrow morning and he's arrested and then he's put on the cross at nine. He is, he dies the same time as those Passover lambs tomorrow afternoon in preparation. That's the preparation day. And then that's why they had to get his body off the cross. And then while, I think this is fantastic, while those Jews, Brother Taylor, are at home that night yeah. eating the meal, what are they eating? They're celebrating that 1200 years ago, God passed over them and they were delivered from death. While they're eating that on Thursday evening, remember Jesus died at Thursday at 3 p.m. He goes down into the ground and it's while he's in the under cabins that he's the first man to get born again. And the same time they're celebrating God passed over us so that we wouldn't die. Jesus in the underworld is being born again so that all humanity, if they would follow in his footsteps, would also not have to die. And then as they, as they, and they hidden that bread in their house because he's hidden in the under earth. And then when they find that bread Sunday morning and they eat it, that sweet bread, that's the resurrection. And on that third morning, he rose. Now, would you look at this with me, please? I just like to let people know a little bit more about what's actually happening here because it's very specific. And I know we call it Good Friday, but it's not Good Friday really because we know he died on Nisan 14, which was a Thursday. Praise God. And the reason it's called the high day, it, that wasn't the high day. That evening at 6 p.m., that's why they had to hurry and get him off the cross. That's when the first day of this seven-day festival started. It goes from night to night, and that was the Passover meal celebrated, and that was that high day, that first day of the unleavened bread. That's why it says there, this was a, Sabbath was a high day. A regular Sabbath is not called a high day. Just a Friday into a Saturday is just a regular Sabbath. This was a Thursday into a Friday because it was the first meal, the first day of that special feast. That, we, that they still celebrate today, but we celebrate it not like them. We celebrate it with knowledge, with revelation, knowing what it means to us. This is precious Jesus that died and rose again. 
Have a look at Matthew 12 and verse 40. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Did he not say that? Three days and three nights. It has to be three nights or it doesn't, uh, doesn't meet his prophecy. Now, have a look at, please, at Luke chapter 18, verse 33. Luke chapter 18 and verse 33. Verse 32, for he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted upon, and they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day, the third day, do you see that? He shall rise. So we know that he has to be three days and three nights, but on the third day he would rise. And lastly, um, the Mark 16, verse 9, Mark chapter 16 and verse 9. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. When Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, the first day of the week is always Sunday in the Jewish calendar, always. The first day, just like it is for us, the first day is Sunday. So did you notice that he said he was risen on, that's why we know he's risen Sunday morning is always Resurrection Sunday, because he was risen on the first day. But we also know that he had to be in the ground three nights. So the only way you can make this work, which, con, which agrees with the scriptures I've read you before, that Wednesday night was the early Seder meal, and then Thursday, the day of preparation was the day that the lambs were slaughtered. It was the day he was died. Everybody was working hard, getting ready for Passover. And then that night while he's in the ground, they're eating the Passover meal, celebrating that God uh, uh, passed over them 1,200 years before. Well, Jesus is in hell uh, paying the price for us so that God will pass over us for eternity. That all happened on Thursday evening. But now count with me. He dies on, th on, he dies on Thursday night. So Thursday night into Friday is one night right? Friday is one day. Friday night into Saturday is two nights. Saturday is two days. Saturday night into Sunday morning is three nights. And it's the morning of the third day that he rises. So people, if you just use common sense and logic as well as scripture, you can see that Jesus could not have died on Friday. He, it's impossible for him to die on Friday because then you don't have three nights in the belly of the earth. You only have two nights. Do you understand? The only way this works and the way it works with the Nissan calendar and the way it works with the feasts and the way it works perfectly is if you look at it and all the Hebrew theologians, Christians, but they study Hebrew, they all agree. It's only the, the modern churches that don't know, really study their Bible don't really understand what's going on. But all the Hebrew theologians agree that Jesus died on a Thursday and that he had his last supper on a Wednesday night, just like tonight. And he went down into that, into, that, into that underworld, Jenny, on Thursday afternoon at 3 o'clock. Praise God. And he was there. I don't, know long, I don't know how long he was there till he got born again. I don't think it was very long because obviously we know that he went down there and he was in that, that prison. The, the psalm says that the bulls of Bastion surrounded him and the hornets were around him and, and darkness had enveloped him. He was a lost man. He was a sinner at that point because he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that was toward the end of his time on the cross. That meant that he had lost his salvation. 
Not for one moment, for all eternity, not for one moment had he been separated from his father. For all the eons of time, the trillions of years, he was in his father. His father was in him. Then he leaves his father to come to earth, but they're still divinely connected. And then all his life, he never really reaches the age of accountability, so to speak, because sin never takes hold of him. He's aware of sin. He's tempted in all things as we are, but without sin. And all, see, I came to an age, you came to an age where sin took hold of us and we died spiritually, which is why we had to get born a second time, made alive unto God a second time, so Jesus could remove the sin and our spirits could connect with the Father a second time, because as children we were innocent, but we all had that spiritual death experience. Jesus never had it, Taylor. He went his whole life, Jenny, and he was tested, tempted with pornography. He was tempted with anger and rage and thieving and violence. He was tempted with every area that we are tested with. And every single time he said no. And he never, ever lost his salvation. He never got separated from his father all through his life. He was in divine connection. He was like a child, so to speak, spiritually, in that he was alive unto God. And even when, when, they, when they whipped him, he was alive unto God. And even when they crucified him, he was alive unto God. And we don't know exactly how long, because the Bible doesn't say it exactly, but we know that for most of that time when he was on the cross, he was alive unto God. But there was a moment. Yes. Now remember the Bible says he tasted death. Spiritual death means separation from God. When, you, when you're not born again, you're separated from God. So he tasted, it didn't mean that he had a long experience with it, but he tasted death or separation from God. Why? Because he had to pay the price of a human being in this realm. While you breathe oxygen, if you're not born again, there's going to be sin and sickness and curses and, and, and all that poverty and all that stuff come on you. Jesus had to become an unsaved man on the cross so he could take the place of every unsaved man that would ever be in this realm breathing oxygen so that he would have the sickness and poverty and curse of the law on him that every other human being would have on them so he could truly say I've taken your place in this realm but then he had to die as an unsaved man as a sinner he had to die he became sin he was the snake on the pole he became the lost one he had to go down to a sinner's fate in hell as a cursed man because every human being was destined to go there and he had to take the place of the ones that were destined to go there He could not just do it in this realm breathing oxygen. He had to do it in that realm or it would only be a half salvation. He would have taken care of it here, but he wouldn't have taken care of it there. He had to do both. And that's why Ephesians 4 clearly tells us the one that ascended, descended down into the under parts, Ephesians 4, 9, into the under parts of the earth. And Jesus goes down there and he is a lost man. He is a sinner. He is, he is separated from God. Can you imagine what that must have felt like for him, Jenny, after all the eons of time? Even on the cross, he was not separated until that one moment when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, God turned his face from him. And for the first time in the history of existence, Existence since Jesus has always been. So our mind can't even fathom how, because there is no time, there's eternity with God. For all eternity, he was with the Father. And in that moment on that cross, he lost his connection with the Father. And can you imagine the agony as he cries out, why have you left me? God, you've left me. But he had to do that for me and you. And then he says, it is finished, tetelestai. In other words, the Price of sin for humanity is paid. Now, salvation isn't ratified because it doesn't get ratified until he rises. But what he needed to do was done. Now the rest is up to the Holy Ghost to rise him up and put him at his own right hand. 
the Father of majesty on high. But everything he was responsible for, coming into this world, living a perfect life, and dying a perfect death, he had done everything. That's why he said the price of sin is paid. It is enough now for all humankind to be able to have access to the Father without the veil between the Holy of Holies and the people. That's why when he said it is finished and he died, there was a great earthquake. For three hours it was dark, and the veil of the temple, which was three inches thick and 60 feet high, they said the strongest horse team on the planet could not pull that apart. It was so thick and so tall and so powerful, that veil. Only God could tear that. And when he died and there was that earthquake and the rocks rent, the veil was torn. Why? Because the price of sin had been paid. Now, salvation, you could not, if James was standing there, he could not be born again at that moment because Jesus had to go up and put his blood and then receive that acceptance of the Father, and then he could be born again. But at the moment he died, the price had been paid, even though salvation hadn't been fully ratified yet. And so he said, it is finished. That's why the Roman soldiers marveled and said, this must be the Son of God, because that Roman centurion had heard them shout that same, that same st- statement, tetelestai in Hebrew. Uh, there was another way that they said it in Latin, but it was the same kind of word, it is finished, meaning when the battle was almost won, the general would cry out Roma Victor or, or a word that was similar to it is finished, letting all the troops know we're not quite finished. We're just mopping up, but we cannot lose. It is impossible for us to lose. When they heard that cry, they went into overdrive, those Roman centurions, those Roman soldiers, because they knew, my God, we're, this is the, this is, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Our general would not tell us this battle is finished uh, if he knew that we could lose. He's saying it because we're just mopping up now. That's why that Roman centurion said something's different about this man. He's saying it's finished, but how could he say, how could he shout that in victory when he's defeated? Because he didn't understand. Jesus was saying the price, everything that I need to do, everything from the time I was conceived in the womb of Mary until this exact moment, all these 33 and a half years, everything, including losing my father, Everything has been accomplished for a human being to be saved. Now the rest has to be my father and the spirit at work because I can't do any more. So my job is done. Now now the father has to finish it up and raise me up and put me at his own right hand. But what my job is done, it is finished. And God said, yes, it is finished. And he ripped it to meaning every human being has access now to come through that veil and directly come into the holy of holies that's why the catholic church in confessing to a priest is such an abomination unto god because it does away with the ripping of the veil religion has added a new veil and there is no veil anymore you don't have to go to a person and confess your sins you don't have to go and ask somebody you know to listen to your confession that is an abomination to god because jesus ripped the veil everything that i've done and that has to be done is finished it is over it is finished seriously and then he breathes his last and he says uh and father into your hands i commit my spirit now that word commit is a very interesting Greek word. It doesn't just mean I give. It means I give over for your protection. What was Jesus saying? That study in the Greek, you'll see where I'm right. What he was saying was, Father, I'm lost. I'm a sinner. For the first time in eternity, I don't know what it feels like to have you near me. I've paid a price for these people, but I've done it at, my own, at the cost of my own salvation, my own relationship with you. So I'm giving you, Father, this is a tremendous statement, Jenny. I'm giving you my spirit. Protect my spirit. 
I'm going into hell where Satan abides. I'm going as a slave of sin for this people. Now you must protect me. If you don't raise me up, I will stay in hell forever. Do you understand how serious this is? And if you read Psalm 15, 16, 17, 18 in the light of the cross, because those are the four Psalms, five Psalms that he sang before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. If you read them, especially Psalm 118, it'll blow your mind. When you read what he's saying, he said, don't leave my soul in hell forever, O God. That's in Psalm 118. Because he knows he's going down to hell. He knows he's going to be separated. And so the second last statement he makes is, Father, I protect me. I give myself to you. I've done everything you've asked me to do. Now I'm trusting if you don't raise me up, I'm a lost man forever. Yeah, that's right. And he goes down into the underworld. And while they're eating in their homes, the Passover lamb, the Passover lamb is in hell, paying the price. Yeah. So that not only would the death angel pass over a small group, but so that death, spiritual death and separation would pass over all humanity forever. He was, and then it, down there, the Holy Ghost comes and he, the Bible says he quickens him. And I can read you all the verses of Revelations 1, 5, and there's many others, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, and many others, that Jesus became the firstborn of the dead. The first, not the first raised man, because there was six people raised from the dead before him, three in the Old Testament and three by his own ministry. He was the seventh person raised physically, but he was the first person whose spirit was made born a second time. That's why it doesn't say he's the first raised from the dead. It says he's the first born from the dead, the first begotten, the first birthed of the Father, because that speaks of a spiritual thing, not just a... Anytime you see somebody is raised, body, it's always word raised. He was raised to life on the third day in his body. But his spirit, man, anytime you see the word born, it's referring to the spirit not the body, raised as body, born as spirit. Now you look at all those scriptures and you'll see, I'll give, the, I'll give them to you because some of you scowling at me and some of you saying, I don't believe what he's saying. I don't think he's right. I'm not sure if what he's saying is right. Well, it says he is the first begotten of the father. Hebrews 1.6, the firstborn of creation, Colossians 1.15, the first begotten of the dead, Revelations 1.5, the first fruits of those who are to be resurrected, 1 Corinthians 15.20, and James 1.18, that he, that he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. In other words, Jesus got born again in that underground, in that place of hell, that place of torment. Dr. Dufresne saw it. He saw the Holy Ghost come in the cell. He had an open vision. He saw the bars explode and he saw Jesus look up and look square at Satan's face because now he was a lost sinner. But now the Holy Ghost came and removed the blockage between him and God because remember, he took all of the sin of the world. That was a blockage between him and the Father. But the Holy Ghost removed that because of his precious blood. And then in that cavern, he became the first man who was born of the Spirit, born unto God in relationship with God a second time because he had lived that way his whole existence and he had lost it just for that short time on the cross and then that short time in hell. But the Holy Ghost restored it back to him and he became the firstborn, the firstborn again, the first begotten of the Father. Jesus is the first human being to ever be born again. Do you realize that one of the members of the Trinity is born again? You are not a stranger because one of, your, one of the members of the Godhead is like you. One of the members is born again. Jesus was the first born again man. 
And, 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 and of course, he, you know, I don't know exactly what it looks like. Doctor, I just, I, I don't think doctor's lying, but he said he looked at him and he said, give me those keys. And he went over. Now, whether it happened or not, I don't know. That's what doctor saw. And he said Satan was sitting on the throne and he kicked him. He, he had long Galilean legs and he kicked him with his heel on his forehead and knocked him right over the back of his throne. That's what doctor saw. Mm-hmm. It's not in the Bible, but I'll believe it. Anything that insults the devil is good with me. He knocked him right over the back of his throne, took his keys. He had to to be born again. He had to be raised up spiritually. His body's still in the grave. His his body hasn't raised, but his spirit has been raised up. His spirit has been born. He's in the underworld. Then he has to go and he has to preach to those spirits in Tartarus in the book of Jude. It talks about that. They tried to block his line by having angels sleep with women so that Jesus could never, the bloodline would be blocked. They tried to bring Goliath to kill David so that he would never be born. The devil was working for thousands of years to try to stop Jesus from being born, but he was born. And then he went and he said to them, basically, you, you failed. You tried everything under the sun to stop me, but here I am. I have died, I have taken their place, and I am alive now spiritually. I'm born again, and you've lost, and you're staying here for eternity, and I'm going to my Father. Then he crosses the gulf, and all those paradise people, they saw him for the first time, Moses and Joshua and David. They, they, were, they died believing the Messiah would come, but not knowing who he was. Hallelujah. And can you imagine the party that they would have had in paradise while the rest of that time, while they were all mourning on the earth, thinking Jesus is dead, they're having a party there in paradise. And then he takes them all from paradise on his way to heaven, but they stop in the earth, and you can read it in Matthew 27, and it says that the graves opened, and and, and the, the, the dead ones became alive again, many of them, and started walking around Jerusalem and talking to people about Jesus being the Messiah. And that's when they came early in the morning, Mary Magdalene, and where's Jesus? And he said, don't touch me. Why? Because they're just a stopover. (laughs) He's literally come from paradise back into the earth, but he's holding his blood and he's on his way to the Father, and that's why she can't touch him because she's unclean. And all these people are walking around telling people, these are people that were dead. Can you imagine somebody knocking on your door? (laughs) On Nisan 17, and saying, I'm your great-grandpa. I want you to know that Yeshua is the Messiah. If you hear things about it, don't believe it. He is the Messiah. He is the Prince. He's just taken me from paradise. I'm on my way to heaven. If you believe in him, I'll see you. I mean, it was an evangelistic opportunity. Talk about an outreach. And then they go and the father receives them. I'll get into that on Sunday morning. And he sits down and he's given a name above every name, Philippians chapter two. He's given a robe of vanquished foes. He sits down as king of kings and lord of lords. He gives gifts unto men. He comes. He doesn't stay there. He comes right back later that day, right back to the earth. And the three women encounter him. And he says, all hail, which means rejoice. And they hug him. And he lets them hug him. And he lets them touch him. He lets them kiss him. He lets them cry over him. Why? Because his blood. <laughs> Did you notice he said, all hail, I go unto your father and my father. Why could it be their father? Because it wasn't their father before he put his blood there. He didn't say to Mary, I go to your father and my father. He put his blood, then he comes back. Then the three ladies, he receives them. They touch him because his blood is safe. And he says, your father and my father. Why? Because now you have a right to be a child of God. They're freaking out. And can you imagine? And the, the, the ladies are the ones in faith. And the men are the ones that are squeaking around and nervous. And he walks through the wall, and Thomas missed the service. He was on his iPhone. He missed the service. He was late. But the other 11, Jesus breathed on them. 
He says, receive ye the Holy Ghost. That wasn't the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That didn't happen until Pentecost, some 50 days later. But this was, you can't get born again without the Holy Ghost. You also need him to be filled, but you need him to be born again. And when he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost, those 11 disciples were the first human beings on the planet other than Jesus. The first man got born again in front of Satan himself. I love it. Can you believe? That's why the devil hates talking about the born again experience. He witnessed the first man born again. He thought he had killed him and he turned it. God turned it on him. And he realized not only have I lost, I've lost the biggest battle in the history of the ages. Jesus was the first human, but he got born again in hell. Now the next 11 get born again in that room that they were gathering in. They were the next, then it just spreads from there. And now look how many sons have been brought unto glory. He's, we're called the church of the firstborn. There's a whole church that has come now. And what, and what was that, that first fruits? It was a waving of the barley harvest. What really what it is, can I, can I read you how it's phrased here? Because I think it's just, such, uh, it's just such a beautiful way that they, can I read it to you the way that it's worded here? It says, this is by a, th- a theologian. It says, Yeshua's resurrection was like a wave offering. This is on the, on the feast of first fruits on Sunday morning, Easter morning. It was the first fruits day. Yeshua's resurrection was like the first fruits wave offering presented before the Father as the first fruits of the harvest to come. What Jesus was saying is, Lord, uh, I am, that what they would do, they would wave the barley before the Lord and say, Father, thank you for your goodness. There's a great harvest yet to come for us. And they would do that every year on Nisan 17, what we call Easter Sunday. For 1,200 years they've been doing that. Now, but see the symbolic here. Jesus was waving to the Father. I am the firstborn from the dead. I wave the offering to you, my Father, to let you know there's a great harvest coming. Who is the harvest? Me and you. You're part of the harvest that Jesus waved in the first fruits before the Father on Easter Sunday morning when he said the great harvest is coming, Father. I'm the first one, but there's 11 more coming later today, and there are millions coming in the years to come. I I want you to know, Father, I was the first of the harvest. That's why he's called the first fruits of the dead. I'm the first of the harvest, but Jyoti's coming. Praise God. Taylor, maybe if he's good, he's coming. Reverend Greg, if he's very good, he'll come too. All of us were part of that harvest, but Jesus was the first of it. That's really what happened. I want you to understand what happened. What happened on Wednesday night? What happened with his early Seder me? What happened on Thursday? What happened on Thursday afternoon when he died? What happened on Thursday evening when they're eating the Passover and he's in the ground? Then he, when he crosses over the gulf and they have a party and then he comes up resurrected. He's already born again, but now his body is raised up on Easter Sunday morning on the day of first fruits because he's the first fruits, the first born again man from the dead. Yeah. And the harvest is coming. I mean, it's, it's the most beautiful story, Jenny. It is. It's the most beautiful. There are seven feasts and three of them are in the spring. Four of them are in the fall. And the first three is, of course, Passover. And unleavened bread, which Passover is on the first day of unleavened bread. And then Pentecost, which is on the 50th day. That's when the Holy Ghost came and filled those that were already saved. So that they would have power to go and tell everybody in this planet who Jesus really was. Now have a look with me. I, I, I wanted to give you a bit of a, a, bit of a history. 
because I know it may not be the most exciting, but, but to me, it's important that we understand some of the basics of why we believe what we believe and how it all works and how those feasts of unleavened bread work and all that stuff, because I think it's important, Jenny, that people understand this, the, the perfection that God has. And by the way, uh, by the way, did you know, which I thought was fascinating, did you know that also on Nisan 17, which is Resurrection Sunday, it's a special date with God. Did you know that on that same day, Noah's flood ended? That exact day, the new creation in Jesus was on the anniversary of the rebirth of the world. The world was rebirthed on Nisan 17. And God says now all, that's the physical world, the creation, but now every human heart can be rebirthed as of Nisan 17. I mean, it's, it's so flawless. Do you know that Israel crossed the Red Sea on Nisan 17? When it looked like they were going to be destroyed by Pharaoh, by darkness, by sin. Looked like we were going to be destroyed, but Jesus rose again. He was our great crossing of that sea of sin. It's amazing. Do you know that Haman... The attacker of the Jews, the dark, devious man that wanted to kill the people of God, they hung him on Nisan 17. God wanted, God, this is a special date to God. You try to touch my people? See, Nathan Haman represents Satan. You try to kill him, I'll destroy you. And the day that Jesus rose, Satan was destroyed. Just like Haman was destroyed. Isn't that marvelous? Praise God. I just, I just like to see the flawless, there's others, but just to see the flawlessness of how God planned everything, Errol, that on that great glorious day, he waved, he waved the barley offering to the Father and he said, I'm, I'm the first one that you've raised up, but there's a great harvest to come. There are many sons that will be born into glory because of me. I, I'm one of those sons. I like meditating on this because it helps me remember I don't just, it's not just Easter with Easter bunnies laying eggs. First of all, bunnies don't lay eggs. Chickens lay eggs. And it broke Luke's heart. He still believes in Santa. I've made a whole bunch of lies about Santa works for Jesus and the elves are miniature angels that work. I mean, it's a whole convoluted mess. I'm trying to dig my way out of it because I just can't break his little heart. But I thought, no, I'm not doing that no more, James. I'm not telling him that bunnies lay no eggs. So I broke his heart yesterday and I said, no, honey, there's no bunnies laying eggs in our house. Bunnies don't lay eggs. Chickens lay eggs. I said, daddy will hide the eggs and you'll find them. You're telling me there's no bunny rabbit, daddy? I said, no, there's not. That's a devil. No, it's just, the, the, <laughs> no, there's, there's no bunnies. And that's what the world has reduced this incredible moment of time for us to not just chickens, but rabbits laying eggs, which doesn't even make logical sense. It's got nothing to do with chocolate and it's got nothing to do with bunnies. It's got to do with Jesus, the Messiah, who, who, who gave himself. They didn't kill him. He gave himself. Now, I know it's, the time's getting on, but as you can tell, I really don't care. So Genesis 15 and verse 7, because uh, you, you only get it once every goodness knows how long, so you're going to really get it. Praise God. And Red Bull will be handed out in a minute by the ushers if you need one. You can put your hand up. Now, Genesis 15 verse 7, and he said unto him, God said to Abraham, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the earth of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall? How do I know that you're going to keep your word and give me this land? And he said unto him, take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took them unto him, all these, and divided them in the midst. That means he cut them down the spine. Yeah. 
Okay, he literally took the length of the animal, that's how they did it, and they, and they divided them in half, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece, one against the other, that means one was on the left, one was on the right, but the birds he divided not, and when the fowls came down upon the carcass, that represents demons and darkness, Abram drove them away, he watched over that sacrifice, and when the sun, that God watched over Jesus, and didn't let the birds take him. What did Jesus say? The seed of the word is planted and the birds come and pick it away in Mark 4. And then he said, the birds are demons. If you read that, symbolic of demons. Here we see Jesus represents the animal that was slain. And now Abraham is human, humanity, representing humanity. But God was watching over that sacrifice so that the birds wouldn't take the carcass. God was watching over Jesus to make sure the devil wouldn't overtake him. He was in his grit for a short time, but he was not overtaken by the devil. The devil didn't win, in other words. Are you with me? And when the sun was gone down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, which represents death. And lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him, because Jesus had a great horror when he died, and a great horror down in the underworld. This is all symbolic of Jesus' death. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years, speaking of Egypt. And also that nation whom they shall serve, I will judge. That's what he did when he brought them out with the ten plagues. And afterward they shall come out with great substance. Remember, they all had silver and gold, and there was not one feeble among them. And thou shalt go to your fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come thither again, and for the iniquity of their might not yet full. Now, watch verse 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down, and it went, now he's in a deep sleep now. It was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river Egypt into the great river, the river Euphrates, and on and on. I want you to know, I want you to understand something, and I'll be very quick about this, but it's, uh, this is the, the, really what I wanted to get to, but I just wanted to tell you a bit of that timeline first. God cut the covenant with himself. God didn't cut covenant with you. He couldn't cut covenant with you because you couldn't keep it. He cut covenant with, he couldn't find a man that wouldn't break the covenant. Not even Abraham as good as he was. He couldn't find a man. So God represent, God the Father represented divinity and Jesus the Son, the burning lamp, the fiery furnace represented humanity. That's why Jesus came down to the earth. Now follow, you gotta put, you put your concentration caps on just for 15 minutes and follow because if you'll follow and you'll really pay attention, you'll, you'll learn something. And I know some of you may have heard this but you've heard it a long time ago and I promise you, you've probably forgotten some of it because it is a little bit complex, but just, just concentrate with me because this is, this is the key of our salvation, what happened in Genesis 15. He cut covenant with Jesus. Jesus, the one that passed between the pieces is the one who's in the covenant. Abraham was sleeping. He didn't pass through the pieces. Only the, the Lord, the burning lamp, he passed through the pieces of the, of, of, the, of the slaughtered animals, which means God was cutting a covenant with the burning lamp. With Jesus, not with Abraham. But Abraham could enter into that covenant if he chose to. And so could his seed. Are you with me? Okay. So uh, it was with, now, now why is it a lesser covenant, Taylor? Because it was the animal's blood. But why was it animal's blood? Some of you think, what were they, what God's mean? Why did he kill animals? Because animals have not committed sin. Animal's blood is innocent blood. Animals are not responsible for sin. Do you understand? They don't do things. They don't have the will to sin. 
Sometimes I think, look at some of your cats, and I wonder if that's true or not. They're so demonized, those cats. But anyway, praise God, they don't have a will to sin. Humans have a will to sin. Do you understand? Not, animals can be demon-possessed, but they don't have a will to commit sin. No, they can. Pigs were demon-possessed when Jesus cast the devil into them, but there was no will for them to sin. So why did he use animal blood? Because it's innocent blood, yet it's not divine. Are you with me? He had to find a substitute. It has to be innocent or it can't cover sin. But, it, but it's also not supernatural. It's also not divine blood, although it is innocent blood. So now what happens is uh, he, he cuts this with Jesus. And I'll tell you the reason why. I won't read it for sake of time, but if you're writing notes, Hebrews 9, 14 and Hebrews 12, 22, It says Jesus was the mediator or the go-between between God and man. You got to understand, if you don't understand those two verses, you don't understand the whole covenant because Jesus was the go-between or the mediator between God and me. God cut it with him because he's the go-between between me and the Father. I couldn't cut it with God because if I failed the covenant, I would be lost forever. It had to go through Jesus. Now, let me keep going for a second. Jesus took on him the curse. Now, this is powerful. I'm telling you, this is, this is salty, if I could put it that way. Let me read this to you, this statement. The glory of the gospel is that God assumed the covenant curses himself in the person of Jesus in order to save us. The creator was willing to take upon himself the covenant curse. During the covenant ratification ceremony, parts of several killed and dismembered animals were laid side by side with a path between them. It was a path of blood. The parties to the covenant would walk between the animal pieces, swearing to keep the oaths of the covenant. Jesus walked swearing to keep the oaths of the covenant on Abraham's behalf. In effect, the person walking was calling for the curse that fell on the animals to fall on them if they broke it. What was the curse that fell on the animals? They died. So they are calling as he's walking in the path of blood. Jesus' feet, his ankles are covered in blood. And he's walking as a, fur, as a furnace, as a, as a lamp. And he's calling. He's basically calling for his own death. He's saying, let the curse come upon me on behalf of Abram, on behalf of the, of the people. Let the curse come upon me if they break it. Let the curse come upon me if I break it. But because I do it for him, let the curse come upon me if he breaks it. Are you with me? Jesus was calling for the curse of death to come upon him as he walked that path before the Father. Stay with me. I know it sounds a bit extreme, but just stay with me. He was the only one that walked it. He called for his own. He took upon himself the curse that Abraham deserved. He walked through the path of blood calling for his own death. Why? Let me explain this to you. Very simple. When, if, the, if God had Abraham walk through the covenant, through the thing, Okay, then the covenant would be made with Abraham. Now, if Abraham fails the covenant, which every human being does because we're sinful, if Abraham breaks the covenant, doesn't he just break it? He fails the covenant. There's a difference between the word fail and the word break. If he fails the covenant, now listen, this has got to understand this. If Abraham failed the covenant, it would mean that Abraham and all his seed, which would include us, would be lost forever for the curse of the covenant would have to come upon him and his seed, which means, what is the curse? Separation by death, which means every human being would be lost for eternity in hell because the curse of the covenant has to come because of disobedience. 
That is why Abraham couldn't, it couldn't be Abraham. Otherwise, every human being would be lost. Because God knew that Abraham was going to break it. So he has this ingenious plan. Only God could come up with it. He says, Jesus, I want you to take his place. I want you to be the substitute. You walk through it while he sleeps. I'm going to cut the covenant with you. Because you, Jesus, won't fail me. Now, are you listening? Abraham enters the covenant through Jesus because of his belief in the Messiah to come. It was counted in him for righteousness. Now, Abraham's still going to break the covenant by sin, but breaking it is not failing it. Why? Because it was cut with Jesus who cannot fail. So as long as Jesus is the rock of that covenant, it cannot fail, but it can still be broken when Abraham or his seed sin. So he comes up with an ingenious strategy. When you sin, Abraham, which you are sure to do, and all your generations after you, when you sin, we're going to do this thing on Yom Kippur, which was the sixth feast. It's called the Day of Atonement. It's the holiest day of the Jewish year. And what you're going to do is you're going to bring, come between, before God in the Holy of Holies, you're going to sprinkle blood, and it's going to cover the blood, innocent yet not divine, will cover the sin of the people for a whole year. You see now, the covenant can't fail because it wasn't cut with a human. It was cut with Jesus. It can't fail, but it can be broken. Broken because of sin. But it can be repaired. Once a year, it was repaired by the blood. Every year, it had to be repaired. And they did that for 1,200 years, repairing the cup. More than that, but repairing the cup. Way more than that because 1,200 years from Moses to Jesus, but Abraham to Jesus was even longer. So for thousands of years, they're repairing the covenant every year. Every year, they're repairing the covenant. They're repairing the covenant. They're repairing the covenant. Why? Because it's a lesser covenant, still cut with Jesus, but now with animal blood, which doesn't have the power to, to overcome sin. So sin can break that animal blood. So they have to keep repairing it. Are you still with me? Okay. Now, uh, that means four four things if you're writing notes. That means it's not perfect. It's not eternal. This covenant with Abraham in animal blood cut with Jesus, but in animal blood. It's not perfect. It's not eternal. It's not free. And it's not open. It's not perfect because it's based on animal blood so sin can break it. It's not eternal because it has to be renewed once a year every year. It's not free because they have to do all this works. They have to do all these things, all these, all these things up, down, left, you know, all this law, the law. They have to do the law. It's not free. And it's not open. Unless you're a Jew, you can't partake. Or you're, you're a stranger that's grafted into the Jewish, you know, that you come as a stranger, but you, you submit to them. But unless you, you don't get it if you're like, so see, it's very limited covenant. It's not the best covenant, arrow, but it was the best that Jesus could do at the time. But here's the amazing thing. Gee, I'm almost done. Are you still with me? Jesus said, I'm going to talk now as if Jesus is talking because I'm going to explain to you what Jesus was really saying through this walking. Are you ready? Jesus is basically saying sin can break it. Animal blood can, it can be broken because it's a lesser covenant, but it can't be failed because it was with me and the father. So I can repair it once a year with this stuff. Because it was cut with me as your substitute, I'm calling the curses of this covenant on myself. Which means this. For a season of time, you're going to be safe from eternal hell. The blood will cover you. Your sin will break it. You'll have to repair it every year. Now, when you die, you can't go to be with my father because your sin's not taken care of. But your sin has also not put you in an eternity without God. So we got to find some kind of holding tank for you. 
The blood has covered you, but it hasn't removed it. So the sinners don't have any blood. They go to the tormenting part of hell. But you have a lesser blood in a covenant cut with me, but with animal blood, it's like a placeholder. And so when you die, you don't go to tormenting hell, but you also can't go to the Father because sin can't be near him. So what are we going to do? We're going to create something called paradise. And it's going to be around the, past the gulf of hell. There's going to be the tormenting part, and then there's going to be a, 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 it's still in the underworld, but it's not torment. It's peaceful. See, now Catholics have done another abomination by talking about purgatory as though it's another paradise, and it isn't. It does away with the blood of Jesus if you listen to them. I mean, it's totally what their foundation on Catholicism is absolutely and 100% satanic. If you really look at what their foundation doctrines are, it's completely anti-Jesus. They talk about all the words that they're about, but if you study what they really believe, they believe that Jesus' blood is not powerful enough, that, 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 he, that, he, that there is still a purgatory, and that you have to confess because Jesus wasn't strong enough to forgive you, and his blood was weak. And that's, that could be the furthest thing from the truth. So he creates this ingenious system, Taylor. If you sin, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of you, but you can't go to heaven, but you're also not going to go to hell. You're going to go to a holding tank, but you've got to wait now until... Jesus, the one who cut it, has to return. Why does he have to return? Because he called upon himself the curse of death if the covenant was broken. And the covenant was probably broken the very next day because Abraham was probably doing wrong stuff just like me and you. He probably swore at his wife the next day or stubbed his toe or did something and lost his cool. That's a sin. The tiniest of sins breaks the covenant. So probably the same day. I mean, I don't know how long it took Abraham to sin, but it could have been within 10 minutes. But Jesus knew, as you sin, this is broken. It won't fail because it's with me, but it will break. Now we can repair it, but it will break. So uh, because you're going to sin and it's going to break, somebody has to pay the price. So I'm going to call, this is what Jesus did for you, my brother. This is what I want you to understand, what your salvation means. Jesus called upon himself, Errol. I call upon me the curse of disobedience to the covenant, which is death, physical death, and spiritual death, separation from the Father. If Abraham breaks it, I'll pay it. And Jesus knew he was going to probably break it before the day was over. And how many times, millions of times, billions of times was it broken from that day until the day Jesus died? With all these millions of people sinning all the time. So they broke the covenant. That's why Jesus had to come back. Because he had already said, if you break it, somebody has to pay. Are you listening? Somebody has to die a sinner. Somebody has to go to hell. Somebody has to take your place, Abraham. You would have gone to hell. So because I put it on me when I walk between the animal pieces, I cut covenant with my father for you so that it can't fail because I can't fail. But because you sin, I have to pay your price. So I'm going to have to come back one day and I'm going to have to fulfill the curse of the covenant that I've called upon me here in Genesis chapter 15. And so he comes back. He came back with the mandate to die. He had to fulfill the curse of the covenant. Are you with me? Do you understand how, how astonishing and deep this is? And so now he comes, he lives a perfect life. Now as he walked through that path, James, of the animal blood, now he walks through the path of his own blood. The blood pouring down when they put that crown of thorns, the blood all over the courtyard when they whipped his back, the blood in the garden from his mind, the blood when they pulled out his beard and they beat him. 
The blood everywhere you looked upon him, there was blood. Seven sheddings of blood because of perfection, hanging on the cross with the hands and with the with the with the feet, and then with the the thing in the side. There was much blood. He walked through the path of his own blood. Why? He had to, because he called it. Somebody has to pay. See, God is so just. That's why you ask, how could God send anybody to hell? I'm answering it for you. God can send people to hell because somebody has to pay. Jesus paid. They only go to hell because they won't accept what Jesus paid because somebody is going to pay. If you don't pay because Jesus paid for you, you have now come into covenant with God through Jesus and you're eternally safe. But if you don't accept what Jesus paid, you're going to pay it yourself one way. Everybody pays. Nobody gets a free pass. The only reason we don't pay is because Jesus. If we don't believe in Jesus, we pay for eternity in hell. That's why he can send people to hell because of his justice. Everybody has to pay, but everybody has been given a great out. That's why we've got to tell people. This is not a religious do's and don'ts. You've got a good news to tell people. Jesus paid the price for you to get out. You don't have to go to hell, but you do. You will if you don't accept him because he's the one that came back and said, Father, I called it then and I fulfill the curse of the covenant now. You cut it with me for them, but you still cut it with me so it could never fail because if you cut it with them, they would have been lost forever in hell. But at least it's through me and I won't ever let you down. But because it wasn't in perfect blood, it was lesser blood, so they're going to keep breaking it. And so that blood has to keep being renewed. But now I come back to fulfill the curse of the covenant. Somebody has to pay for Abraham. And I, this is, Jesus is the hero. He's saying, I will pay it. I don't deserve to pay it, but I'm going to pay it. And not just for Abraham and every Jew that ever lived, but I see Craig over yonder in the future. I see James down in the future. I see Taylor, I see all manner of millions and billions of, of people. I choose to pay it for all of them too. Amen. I'm going to pay it for all. And so Jesus had to return and he came back in his own blood. He walked through his own blood like he walked through the animal blood. But all of a sudden now he comes back and he does the same sacrifice. He is the animal that was ripped. That's why they had to beat him so mercilessly because the animal had to be ripped. Jesus had to be ripped. The blood, there had to be a path of blood. But this time, unlike last time in Genesis 15, this time it wasn't with a goat's blood or a bull's blood or a lamb's blood. This time it was perfect blood. Blood never tainted by sin. Fully God, because the bloodline comes from the father, not the mother. So it was supernatural blood in him, but he could have tainted it if he sinned, but he didn't sin one time. So he meets God's divine justice. He's fully a human being because you have to be a human being to suffer for a human being. You can't have a God suffer for a human. A human has to cover the human race. He is fully human, but he's also fully divine. He has divine blood, yet fully human. Do you understand? That? No, you couldn't make this up. This is God's divine mystery that he held secret through the ages. I've got a man coming. He's part God and he's part man. 
That's where all these stupid people from years ago, the Greeks and the Romans come up with all their demigods and all their folklore and all their mythology. It's all the devil twisting it to get attention away from Jesus was the only true demigod. He was a demigod. He was part God and he was part human. He said, I'm the son of God and I'm the son of man. I'm all human, but I'm all God. My blood is perfect. Now I can die for Abraham. I can die for all of them. I can walk through another path. I called for it before. I'm going to fulfill it now. But it's not going to be with that animal blood. It's going to be with my blood. Why? Because my blood's perfect. Now, are you ready? Because he did this, now the new covenant, this is the new covenant in my blood. Remember he took the cup? This is the new covenant in my blood. When he cut that covenant on Calvary with his precious blood, what did he do, Jenny? He was basically, again, not, I wasn't cutting the covenant. He was cutting it because I would have failed. But he's saying, Father, remember before I cut it with you on their behalf? Now, Father, I cut it with you again on their behalf. But this time it's not just for the Jews. This time it's for all the planet. This time it's for anybody past, present, and anybody future. This time it's not with lesser blood. It's with my blood. Now, my blood makes this perfect and secure. It can never be broken. Even, listen, even if they sin, Father, can't be broken. See, when they could sin before, it was broken because it was animal blood. The animal blood wasn't powerful enough to sustain sin. That's why it had to be renewed. But Jesus says, now that this, this doesn't give you a license to sin. Right. I'm just simply saying, Jesus said, this, my blood, when Craig enters through my blood, even though he may sin, he does not break covenant. Amen. You know, when I sin, I'm still in covenant. Because his blood is stronger than goat's blood. His blood cannot be overcome by my sin like goat's blood could be. It's a better covenant with better promises. Amen. His blood is perfect and secure and can never be broken because it was based on his perfection, not on my perfection. Number two, his blood is eternal. Remember I said it wasn't perfect, now it is perfect. It wasn't eternal, now it is. We don't ever have to go through a sprinkling of blood like the ceremony they did once a year on Yom Kippur. It's over. Jesus never has to die again. It was done once and for all. Now we remind ourselves of his blood and sprinkle his blood by faith in our hearts, but not to get saved, just to show honor to it. It's been done once. He never has to die again. Never does another animal have to be slaughtered because Jesus was the Lamb of God. Number three, it is free. It's not by works and by all the stuff that the Jews had to do and all this legalism and all this ritual and all the clothes and all this. You have to do all this stuff. It's not by that. It's simply by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any of you should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's by grace. It is secure and perfect. It can never be broken. It's eternal. It never has to be repeated. It is completely free of works. All you have to do is say yes. And it's open. Any race, any creed, any nationality, Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter who they are, they can receive it. This is what Jesus did. He did this for me and for you. My God. He secured it, Jenny. He secured it for me. He came with his own blood. And he said, I'm doing this for Jennifer. I'm calling upon me the curses that I said over yonder when I was with Abraham. Now let me fulfill the curse. So that's why, Jenny, it had to come on him. He had to take the curse of the covenant because Abraham broke it. He had to take it. What was that? Death. Mm -hmm. 
So now he stood there and he's, he's, he's doing, he's killing two birds with one stone for lack of a better word. He's saying, I'm fulfilling the call of the covenant of death. So I'm going to die because somebody has to die for Abraham. So I'm going to die. But on top of that, not only am I paying for it, but I'm also providing a new covenant at the same time for anybody that will believe in me and any of them that ask to receive this, that ask for my name and my blood, if they'll receive it by faith. Not works. Never has to be repeated. It's eternal and it's secure and it's free and it's open to anybody. Now, Father, I'm cutting covenant with you. Lorraine didn't cut covenant with you. I cut covenant with you. That's why it's eternally secure because Jesus can never fail. But Lorraine could fail. That's why we don't want the covenant based on us or we wouldn't have a very good covenant. It's got to be based on, it was even based on him in the Old Testament, but with lesser blood, so a lot of drawbacks. But now it's still based on him, but with perfect blood, so there's no drawbacks. Now, anybody can come through him. That's why he said, I'm the door. Anyone that believes in me can come unto my father and sup with him. Now, anybody that receives Jesus, receives that covenant of blood that he cut, that he walked through with the father, comes into this eternal perfect, secure, and open covenant. And they are safe and secure forever. And it's not based on our perfection. It's based on his perfection because he's the one that cut covenant, not us. Now, that doesn't give us a license to sin. If we sin, Bible says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Why? Why? You see, first of all, it was failing, which it didn't because it was done with him but it could be broken in the Old Testament. Now in the New Testament, it can't be broken, so it can't fail, and it can't break, but we can do what? We can disobey. You can't fail the covenant. You can't break the covenant, but you can disobey the covenant. Disobedience simply says this, I'm still in covenant, but now I've removed myself because of disobedience outside the banner of his protection and his blessings and his help. I'm still saved. I'm still going to heaven. It's not broken, but I'm going to live miserable on the earth. So I still have to repent when I, when I disobey the covenant so I can get back into position so that all the blessings of that covenant can pour upon my head. Do you understand? So you don't, don't ever say again, I think I broke the covenant. You can't break the covenant because it's not based on you. It's based on him. You can't fail the covenant no matter what you do. But what you can do is disobey the covenant. But if you just submit to him and say, Jesus, forgive me. Praise God, that blood washes you instantly whiter than the whitest snow, and you're right back into fellowship with him. Have you ever noticed when you sin, you don't repent, you feel far from him? You're still going to heaven, but you see you're separated a little bit, not, not from his, you know, you're still saved, but you don't feel close to him because you've sep- stepped away from his presence. See, sin takes you out of his presence. You haven't broken or failed that you've just disobeyed it. Repent and get right back into his presence, right back into that flow of abundance. That's what Jesus did, Jenny. That's what he did for us. I'm telling you. He called. Oh, man. He called for his own death. He took Abraham's place. Abraham deserved to die. I deserve to die. Every human being deserves to go to hell. But Jesus said, I'll do it. I'll take it. And I'll go to hell for them. So they never have to go to that ugly, awful place of torment. And not only that, I'll take all their sickness in this earth and all their poverty in this earth and all their danger in this earth and all their lack in this earth and all the curse of the law in this earth. I'll take it in this earth so they can live on this earth happy and peaceful and victorious and whole and prospered. And they never have to go to that place. 
So the salvation doesn't just apply to keep you out of hell. It applies to keep you healthy and wealthy and prosperous and full and, and, and mental soundness and peace. And everything you need in this world, it covers that and it covers everything for the next world. This is the power of what Jesus did. This is Wednesday night. If we could travel back in time, we would be watching him eating the early Seder meal. We'd be watching him singing the five Psalms. We'd be watching him going down to the garden and praying. We'd be watching the awful punishment that he went through. We'd be watching the crucifixion. We'd be watching him cry out, why did you leave me? And he lost his salvation. We'd watch him go down. We'd watch him broken as a sinner, as a snake upon a pole. We'd watch the Holy Ghost rise him up. We'd watch him say, give me the keys. We'd watch him say, angels, you failed. We'd watch the saints of old in the holding tank say yes. Why could they now get out? Because as long as animal blood was in play, they were stuck in paradise forever. But when the precious blood that doesn't cover but removes sin. Now, glory, do you understand what happened? It didn't just remove our sins, it removed past sins. So that means every person's account in paradise, all of them had sinned. All of them had been covered. None of them had been cleansed. But when Jesus became the first born again man, the power of God cleansed every slate in paradise. That's why he could say, boys, you're stuck here because you're covered, but now you're cleansed. Come with me back to the earth. Don't tell all your friends that I'm the, I'm the king. And then come with me. We're going on to see my father. Now, David and Abraham and Jonah and Moses and all of those folks including the one that died beside him on the cross. Today, you, my brother, will be with me in paradise. Where did he say? In paradise. In the holding tank. Because now all of us are cleansed. And all of us can now leave this paradise and go to the place where God lives, but you can't be with God with any hint of sin on you. Right. You can only be in God's presence when you've been washed by the blood. That's why the paradise could only be emptied after Jesus became born again. Hallelujah. When you die, you don't go to, you don't go to purgatory. And all this lie that they tell people that you can, you can lessen people's time in purgatory by giving lots of money to the Catholic Church. Do you see what a, talk about a scam. Do you understand what I'm saying? Talk about, I mean, we just take offerings. They do scams. Granny's in hell. Now, if you give $10,000, instead of her being there for 10,000 years, she'll be there for 1,000 years. Now, you keep giving money and, and it will lessen her time in paradise, in purgatory. Why? Jesus' blood isn't strong enough to cleanse her and take her directly to heaven. So your money is going to buy her out of hell. Do you see how demonic that is? It lessens the blood of Jesus and it brings things onto a natural playing field of money. No money can cleanse sin. Jesus said you can have all the money in the world and lose your own soul. That means all the money on the planet cannot cleanse one soul from sin. So how could the Catholics say that 10,000 can lessen years in purgatory? I'm just trying to help you. I'm not against anybody. Listen, my mother was raised Catholic. I was christened Catholic. I'm not against anybody. There's many born-again Catholics, and we love them. I'm just saying you've got to understand doctrine. What, what doctrine is so that you don't, you don't ever have to come and say, let me confess to you, Pastor Craig. Yeah. You just go right to him. The veil's gone. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, 
I didn't fail you and I, and I didn't break the covenant, but I disobeyed. I come right to you, Lord. I come right to you because I have covenant with the Father through you. And so I come right to you in your name. Father, please forgive me. Wash me with that precious blood and instantly in a microsecond you're clean. And you're right back into perfect fellowship, right under the spout of blessings, right under the divine protection of God like nothing ever happened. That's why, Taylor, we've got to tell people, Jesus paid the price for you. If you don't accept it, you will pay it. He is just. I don't care if the granny made pies for missionaries all her life. When she dies, if she did not accept the price, she will burn in hell forever. As harsh as that sounds, that's exactly what's going to happen. Because it's not that God doesn't like her. It's that she rejected the precious ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made. Do you understand? Heavenly Father, I thank you with all of my heart for what Jesus did for me. Lord, we're having our early Seder meal. We're not eating roasted lamb and bitter herbs and unleavened bread, but we're eating spiritual food tonight. I've, pre- I've presented them a platter of spiritual food that they've partaken of. Their spirit has been fed tonight. And Lord, this was our, so to speak, early Seder meal because we're remembering Jesus that you sat there and you contemplated what was coming. And you knew it was going to be hard because you said in the garden, let it pass from me, Father. Let this cup pass from me but not my will, but thy will be done. Thank you, Father, that Jesus submitted to your will. If he had not submitted to your will, I would be lost today. If he had not submitted to your will, Abraham would be in paradise still. But because he came, because he died, because he paid Abraham's price and my price, because he called upon himself and fulfilled the curse of death, because of the broken covenant and cut a new covenant at the same time so that anybody entering in would be secure for eternity and it would be free of works and open to all humanity. Lord, because of that great sacrifice, we stand here tonight saved. We stand here tonight clean. We stand here tonight redeemed. Like Victoria sang, that precious blood of Jesus, it saved us. We take a moment tonight. I took my time, Father. I know that it was a bit longer than normal, but Lord, they only got one service, so I'm sure they don't mind an extra 15, 20 minutes because they're not going to be back here for a while again anyway. So Lord, I took my time tonight to hopefully let this sink in deeply into their hearts that Jesus is the only reason that we stand here today redeemed. I know we know that it sounds so simple. It sounds like Sunday school. But Lord, they've got to understand the backstory. They've got to understand Genesis 15 if they're going to understand the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for walking through like the fiery furnace, the burning lamp. Thank you for walking through the path of blood. Thank you for walking through your own blood for me. If anybody's watching right now by way of live stream, I know everybody in this church sanctuary is saved because it's members only. But if anybody's watching by way of live stream, I would encourage you to listen to this simple preacher talk to you from his heart. And I say to you today from my heart, if you're watching, whether you're watching live or whether you're watching an archive later on at some point in the future, if you're watching and you've heard the simple message that I've taught you about how Jesus cut covenant with the Father so that you could enter in through his blood, and not animal blood that could be broken, but his precious blood that can never fail. And that your salvation is going to be based on his perfection, not on your perfection. 
and that you're eternally safe in his hands. You never have to be afraid again. Not another day in your life of death, of sin, of demons, of hell, of what happens when you die. You never have to have another thought of fear ever again because you're safe in the hands of Father God through the blood of Jesus. If that's you watching and you say, Pastor Craig, I didn't really understand it that way. I thought it was just about religion. I just thought it was about somebody wanting my money. I just thought it was about some church wanting me to join a membership role. I didn't understand what you're saying. I didn't know that if I don't accept this blood, I'll be lost for eternity in hell. Well, my brother, my sister, that is exactly the truth. Hand on the Bible before God himself, I swear it. That is exactly the truth. So if that's you today, sitting or tonight, wherever you are, if that's you watching live or in some point in the future, bow your head and pray this prayer with me from your heart. If by some infinitesimal chance somebody sitting in this sanctuary is not born again, which I find hard to believe since you're all members, but if so, then you pray this prayer with me too. But for those watching, if you're watching and you're not saved, pray this simple prayer. It doesn't have to be complicated or hard, but you do have to mean it from your heart. He's watching your heart. Say, dear father, just why don't we all pray it with me so I feel like somebody's praying it with me. Say, dear father, I come before you in Jesus' name. I confess that I am a sinner, far from the covenants of promise. But Jesus, you paid a price. You walked through your own blood. You cut a covenant with God so that I could enter into it through your blood. It's secure and eternal. It will never break. No sin can break it. It's free for me. I don't have to earn it. I just have to receive it. It's open for me. I don't have to be a Jew. Anybody can come. And it's eternal. It never has to be repeated. So Father, I receive that covenant now. I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord. And I declare he is my Lord. And I believe that God raised him from the dead. And that he is alive today at the right hand. And that he is my Savior. And that his precious blood made a way for me to come. And I receive that blood. Wash me with that blood. Remove the obstacle of sin. Make me alive, Holy Spirit, unto God again right now. Make me born of the Spirit a second time. Father, I call upon the name of Jesus. You said if I would, I would be saved. I thank you right now that I am saved. That the blood of Jesus has washed that sin away. The obstacles are removed. My spirit is alive unto God. I am now born again like my Savior who was the firstborn again man. So I am also a born-again man. I am in the covenant through the eternal blood. And I am saved. And I am safe. And I am healed. And I am protected. And I am made whole. And I am not afraid of the future. And when I close my eyes in eternal sleep, whether it happens instantly or unexpectedly, I know I will find myself with the Father in heaven. Thank you, Father, for saving me. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you that if anybody was watching and praying that prayer, 
that now they are my brother and my sister in the family of God. Let them look at that, that address that's on their screen, salvation at promiseoflife.ca. Let them email us, Father, that we can send them a Bible. We won't be after their money or try to solicit them for things. We want to send them free material, a Bible, and some books that they can read, that they will help them understand further what's just happened to them. And that, Lord, that they need to find a church and a pastor to submit to, that they can come and learn the Bible and learn this is the first step on a long journey. It's not the last step, it's the first step. And Lord, I thank you that you draw them to a good church, that they would plant themselves in the local church of God and that they would grow in the things of God, the things of faith and the things of the Spirit. And we thank you, Father. It was a simple message tonight. It was, a, it was a, maybe a message that some of them have heard before. But Father, I felt when I prayed yesterday, I felt you say, go back to the basics, son. Go back to the basics and talk about my blood. It's an eternal message. It can never truly grow old. It can never truly become boring. It is, the, it is the greatest message of all times that Jesus cut covenant with his own blood and that I have entered in. Lord, I thank you. I've tried to uh, fulfill your mandate skillfully tonight. I thank you that the people that sit here are blessed. The people that sit at home are blessed. And I thank you, Father, that people were saved tonight by praying that prayer. I give you rich praise and glory, Lord Jesus, and honor. And one more time, with my family right here in this room, and if you're watching by way of live stream and you're a member of this church, lift your hands with me, everybody, every single human being watching at home, lift your hands. I don't care who's there, lift your hands. Every person in this building, whether you're on sound booth, live stream, I don't care. Every human being that is within the sound of my voice, lift both your hands to heaven. Lord Jesus, we lift our hands to honor you tonight. We lift our hands to honor you tonight. We honor you, Jesus, with every breath and every cell of our being. We honor you. We honor you. We honor you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. I thank you, Lord, for walking through that animal blood. I thank you for coming back to fulfill the curse. I thank you for paying the price and dying. I thank you for going to hell for me. I thank you for letting me enter into this covenant. I honor you, Jesus. I thank you for my eternal salvation. And I bless your wonderful name tonight. I will live my life with the highest desire to serve you, to tell others about you, to tell others the good news of what you've done for them, that they would escape hell like I have. Oh, Jesus, I'll live my life serving you and honoring you. And I bless you tonight. And the people bless you tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray.